beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the third and final sermon in a short series on evangelism. We've considered the need to let our lights shine before others, that seeing our good deeds, they may learn to know God and glorify Him. We focused on how important it is to practice hospitality, especially towards strangers, for open homes lead to open hearts. In this final sermon in the series, we deal with our calling to also speak about our faith. Living a godly lifestyle may show others that you are different from them, but it doesn't explain why you live differently. Loving strangers may warm their hearts towards you, but again, they may not understand where your love comes from. Our motivation for living thankful lives before God is that out of His abounding grace, He redeemed us from sin and death. Our motivation for loving others is that God first loved us so much He gave His Son to die for our sins. Unless we speak of what lives in our hearts, others will not have the opportunity to come to know the Lord. Now, speaking about our faith is scary to many of us. We think, I don't know what to say. What if someone asks me a question I don't know the answer to? We tend to shy away from fulfilling our prophetic role as Christians. Yet whether we speak about Christ in our daily lives is not an optional activity. In Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, Christ attaches eternal consequences to whether we acknowledge or deny Him in our lives. He will do the same for us before the Father on the final day as we did for Him in our lives. We also need to remember that we're not on our own when we confess Christ in daily life. In Luke 12, verse 11, Jesus told His followers not to be anxious about how they should defend themselves or about what they should say when people question them about their faith. Jesus said, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't shouldn't think about how to defend our faith or prepare ourselves to answer specific questions we might get asked. But it does give us the assurance that Christ will help us to speak about Him to those who do not understand the gospel. I preach you God's Word under the following theme. Prepare yourselves to speak of the Christian hope that lives in you. To speak of Christ in daily life requires a heart devoted to Christ, a mouth prepared to speak, and a spirit committed to love. Our text begins with the instruction, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. To understand what Peter is saying, we need to look at the context. The context is one where Christians were suffering for doing what is good. Peter writes, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Then he adds the words, 
Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, always honor Christ the Lord as holy. These words are a quotation from Isaiah 8, where Isaiah addresses King Ahaz during a crisis. The Assyrians were coming to invade Judah. The kings of Israel and Syria wanted Ahaz to join them in alliance to withstand the Assyrians. Ahaz didn't want to join them. Instead, he planned to make an an alliance with the Assyrians themselves. Isaiah warns him not to do that. He says, Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Instead of making an unholy alliance, Isaiah urged King Ahaz to put his trust in the Lord. Peter says the same thing to the Christians scattered around Asia Minor due to persecution. They are different from the people of the world. It's normal and expected for non-Christians to live in fear and dread. We've experienced that in the past years with the COVID-19 crisis. There were so many people in society around us who were deeply scared by the threat that COVID might kill them. So many people turned to the government as their savior, expecting that if they just followed all the rules, they wouldn't get sick. And beloved, from their perspective, that makes sense. If this life is all you have, you better make the most of it. Death is something terribly scary to most non-Christians. But listen to what Peter tells us. He tells us that as believers, we are not to live our lives that way. We know the Lord. We can trust in our Lord and Savior in all circumstances of life. We don't need to live in dread or fear. Jesus Christ is enthroned in heaven above, far above all powers and authorities. He loved us so much, he was willing to suffer, even to die for us. If we believe that, we need not fear what people might do to us. Instead, says Peter, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. The word our text translates as honoring as holy could also be translated to sanctify. It's the same word we use in the Lord's Prayer when we pray, hallowed be your name. When you hallow God's name, you treat it as holy. You don't blaspheme or curse because you know that God's name represents who he is. So what Peter is teaching us is that we need to hold Christ high in our hearts. We need to give him the first place in our hearts. It's significant that Peter refers to our hearts. By doing this, he makes his instruction personal, something that applies to each one of us. Each one of us must learn not to give in to our fears, but to remember Christ is in control, and so to trust him. Beloved, this applies very much in our witnessing task. 
One of the things that often holds us back from confessing Christ in daily life is fear. We're afraid that others might think that we're weird or that they might ridicule us or ostracize us. We're afraid that talking about Christ might get us in trouble or at least that it might stand in the way of getting a promotion at work. Fear is often one of the biggest obstacles we face in speaking openly of our faith to non-Christians. It's not uncommon to face different fears and anxieties in our lives. Peter, the author of this letter, did. He was often afraid. You remember the time when Jesus came to his disciples when they were rowing their boat at night? Jesus came walking on the water. At first, the disciples were terrified because they thought he was a ghost. After Jesus identified himself, Peter asked to come to Jesus on the water. But when he was walking on the water, he saw the wind, and he was afraid, and he began to sink. Jesus reached out his hand to save him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? On the night when he was betrayed, Jesus told his disciples that they would all fall away. Peter responded, I will never fall away. Jesus said this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter responded, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Yet we know what happened. In the courtyard of the high priest, Jesus was con- Peter was confronted with different people who said that he was with Jesus that he spoke with a Galilean accent. Peter was afraid. Three times he denied his Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. And that was not the end of the story for Peter. After his resurrection, Jesus commanded the women to go and tell the disciples and Peter that he had risen from the dead. In a special gathering on the beach of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus three times asked Peter if he loved him. Jesus forgave Peter. He restored him to fellowship with him. He commissioned Peter to serve as one of his apostles, to preach the good news of salvation. Peter continued to grow in his faith. He grew in his devotion to the Lord. How did he do that? By honoring Christ the Lord as holy in his heart. Peter's heart devotion to Christ is seen in the way he responded to the Jewish leaders after Christ's ascension into heaven. According to Christ's command, he and the other apostles preached the gospel in and around Jerusalem. Acts 3 tells us about how Peter and John healed a lame man in the temple. They used the opportunity of this great miracle to give glory and praise to Jesus Christ through whom they performed this healing. The result was that they were arrested and put into custody. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, forbade them to speak any more in the name of Jesus Christ. But Peter and John answered that they could not but speak of what they had seen and heard. 
Acts 5 tells us about how the apostles continue to preach the gospel and heal people in the name of Jesus Christ. Once more, they were arrested and put in prison. Again, the Sanhedrin threatened them. But again, the apostles remained fearless and bold. They said, we must obey God rather than man. Peter knew that when he gave this answer, it could cost him his freedom, perhaps even his life. But it didn't matter to him. His heart was devoted to the Lord. He knew that the Lord would care for him and keep him throughout his earthly life. And that ultimately, he would take him home when the time came. Because Peter entrusted his life and well-being into the hands of the Lord Jesus, he was no longer fearful about confessing Christ, even in the face of ridicule, opposition, or persecution. And thus, in our text, Peter charges us to honor Christ the Lord as holy in our hearts. Why does Peter begin his teaching about how we are to speak of our faith with this charge? It's because Peter knows that our outward actions are determined by what lives in our hearts. It's only if our hearts are truly devoted to the Lord, trusting in Him for all things, that we'll be willing and able to witness to others about our Savior. Thus, we see that our task of confessing Christ before others, of witnessing about Him, begins with having a heart devoted to Christ. Beloved, is your heart devoted to Christ? Is He central in your thoughts and lives? Do you seek to honor and glorify Him in all you say and do? If we struggle with witnessing about our faith to non-Christians, could the problem be that Christ does not actually have a central place in our hearts? If you know the grace and love of Christ, there's no longer room for fear in your heart. The love of God casts out fear. It does away with the fear of man. When Christ is all important, other people are much less important. Thus, speaking about Christ in daily life needs to begin with a heart devoted to Christ. It brings us to our second point. And it will see that to speak of Christ in daily life requires a mouth prepared to speak. In our text, Peter commands us, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The word translated, make a defense, could be translated more literally as to make an apology. It's from this word that we get the field of study called Apologetics. Apologetics is the study of how to defend the Christian faith against the attacks of unbelievers. So what Peter is telling us is that we need to always be prepared to speak up in defense of our faith in Jesus Christ. To be well prepared 
We need a good understanding of the faith. It's why coming to church and listening to the preaching of the gospel is so important. It's why every year we systematically make our way through the Heidelberg Catechism, which provides such a beautiful summary of our faith. It's why reading the Bible is so important and why we need to participate in communal Bible study. Today, there are so many Reformed sermons and podcasts available. Listening to them helps us understand the gospel and how to apply it to our lives. Sometimes people feel afraid of speaking up in defense of their faith because they feel like they don't know enough. But beloved, even our grade 7 and 8 catechism students know the basics of the faith after learning Lord's Day 1. The first question and answer speaks about what our only comfort in life and death is. It explains that our comfort is belonging to Jesus Christ and how it is that he has claimed us as his own. Question answer two gives the Bible's message in three simple steps. It talks about how great my sins and misery are, how I am delivered from my sins and misery, and how I'm to be thankful to God for such deliverance. With those three simple steps, you can powerfully explain the gospel to anyone who asks. Peter speaks about giving a defense of the hope that is in us. Hope is more than wishing for something. We can hope for a warm and sunny day tomorrow, but if the forecast is for cold and windy windy conditions with heavy rain, then our hope is likely in vain. In the Bible, hope is the expectation of receiving God's blessings based on the promises that He has made to us in His Word. In Christ, God has promised to forgive us all our sins. He has promised to adopt us as His children and to work in us by His Spirit. He has promised us that through faith in Christ, we share in everlasting life. We have a living hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ. A hope based on the sure promises of God. A hope that gives a whole new perspective on life in this fallen, sin-stained world. People will not understand you. They will not understand what makes you tick unless you give a defense of the hope that lives in you. They will never come to faith unless they hear and understand the gospel. Paul writes about that in Romans 10. He asks, how are people to believe in him of whom they have never heard? In a society where less and less people have ever been to church, how will they ever hear about the gospel unless we speak of it? For anyone to come to faith in Christ, they need to know who he is and why he came into this world. There are times when people will ask us questions about our lives as Christians. Why do you go to church? 
You've been going steady with your boyfriend or girlfriend for more than a year. Why haven't you moved in together? How do you really know that there is a God? If God is all-powerful, why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? Why do you Christians oppose a woman's right to choose to do what she wants with her own body? Why do you Christians hate people in same-sex relationships? How can you be so calm when your family member is being diagnosed with cancer? Beloved, how would you answer each of these questions? Would you be willing to speak up and get involved in a discussion? Or would you try to weasel your way out of it? Our text tells us to be prepared to give a defense when people ask us about the hope that lives in us. Be prepared. The questions I just asked are not really strange questions. These are the sorts of questions that many non-Christians have about our perspectives and our lives. We can prepare ourselves to answer commonly asked questions. Even if we're not sure about how to answer a specific question, we can always honestly say we don't know, but promise to get back to the person asking. There's one more thing that we can do to help provoke questions from our neighbors, friends, and acquaintances. We can speak up naturally about the hope that lives in us in everyday life. In this, we can take some lessons from the feminist movement. They know that how we speak day by day affects our thinking and our attitudes. Feminists have long insisted that we use non-sexist language. Organizations no longer have chairmen. They have chairpersons. The LGTBQ lobby has used the same tactics. People who practice homosexuality used to be called queers. Now they're called gay, a word that in Old English means happy. They use pride parades. They've claimed the rainbow, a symbol of God's covenant with humanity, as their emblem. Well, to witness of our faith in the world around us, we can use the same tactics. We need to learn to talk about God and about our faith in everyday life. And beloved, it's not that hard to do. We can talk about God sending rain and about providing a good harvest. In a time of rising living costs, we can speak of our confidence that the Lord will continue to provide for us. When people comment about what a struggle it must be to raise more than 2.2 kids, we can speak about the blessings that we experience in raising five children. The things that are dear to us, the things that are important in our lives, are not often reflected in our daily conversations. Yet instead of adapting to the people around us, we should not be afraid to speak of the hope that lives in us. For it's only by speaking of our faith that we give the Holy Spirit opportunity 
to work faith in the hearts of neighbors, friends, and acquaintances. It brings us to our final point, and it will see that to speak of Christ in daily life requires a spirit committed to love. Our text commands us to always be prepared to make an offense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet to do it with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. The point Peter is making here is that we are to defend the faith with the right attitude. How we deal with people will often determine whether our message gets across. If you come across as being self-righteous or argumentative, you will often not get far in a conversation with someone. If you approach them in a judgmental way, they will quickly be turned off from anything you have to say. James tells us, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. To be successful in evangelism, we need to listen to other people, to try and understand where they're coming from. People don't care about what you know until they know that you care. In connection with this, we can learn much from the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not judgmental about people caught in a sinful way of life. He freely associated with tax collectors and sinners. When criticized for this, Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In Luke 19.10, he said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus dealt with people gently and compassionately. Consider how he dealt with the Samaritan woman at the well near Sickert. He asked her for a drink of water. Jesus knew that normally Jews did not talk with Samaritans. He knew all about this woman's sinful lifestyle, that she had had many husbands. He understood that she was collecting water in the middle of the day when it was hot out to avoid the other women of the town who had ostracized her. But still... Jesus treats her with dignity and respect. By engaging her in conversation, Jesus broke down a lot of barriers. As Christians, we often need to do that as well. Many in the world may consider us as holier-than-thou people because of how we live. If they're living in a same-sex relationship or doing drugs, they will not expect you as a Christian to come up to them and be kind to them. They will think that as Christians, we consider, ourselves our, we consider ourselves too good to associate with them. You break down a lot of barriers by accepting people for who they are, by not judging them by their life circumstances. Beloved, we don't approve of Christians living together before they're married. Why not? Well, because we know better. 
The Bible teaches sexuality belongs to marriage, to a committed relationship between a husband and wife. But non-Christians don't know that. For them, it's the most normal thing in the world to shack up together before they get married. Unless they come to know the Lord, why should they act any differently? Why should we expect them to act differently? You need to know God's grace in Jesus Christ and how He has redeemed you from your sins before you can learn to live a thankful life before Him. In dealing with the Samaritan woman, Jesus used the practical circumstances He was faced with to share the good news of the gospel. He asked for a drink of water. Even though the woman was surprised, his request made sense. Jesus and his disciples had been traveling and he was thirsty. But Jesus uses the opportunity to tell this woman that if she knew who was talking to her, she would ask him for living water. Jesus knew of the thirsting of this woman's heart. He knew of her search for love in the arms of many different men. Jesus makes it clear to her that she would never find satisfaction in her life until she found it in Him. We need to learn to deal with people compassionately and and graciously, to show them the love of Christ and how we interact with them. There is no set script for sharing your faith with others. You must relate to them in their particular circumstances of life. We also have to be patient in sharing the gospel with non-Christians. There's a reason why advertisers repeat the same message again and again. It's because most people will not take in the message the first time they hear it. The Spirit works faith in people's hearts when we answer their questions, when we deal with their issues, when we help them to find rest and hope in Christ alone. Beloved, this morning we've seen that being effective in evangelism requires a whole life approach. To speak of Christ in daily life requires a heart devoted to the Lord, a mouth prepared to speak, a spirit committed to love. May the Lord work in us a deep gratitude for the saving work of Jesus Christ and an earnest desire to see others share in the blessings we have received. May the Spirit help us to speak of the hope that lives in us so that many living in darkness may come to a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God use our efforts to gather the elect that His final day may soon come. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing from hymn 81, stanzas 1, 2, 5, and 7.